0: Welcome to Broadcast 1132. You can join us live every Sunday during our worship experience in Allen, Texas, or at church1132.com. We're going to jump in. This is a, a series I'm calling. It's a little cryptic, but I'm calling it Eat the Scroll. Eat the scroll, part one, and so we're going to go to Ezekiel, the book of Ezekiel. It's a prophetic book, chapter three, and this is going to be our text uh, consistently uh, throughout this entire series, and so we'll look at a lot of other passages as well, and I'm going to give you two passages today, Ezekiel chapter three and 2 Timothy chapter three as well. Ezekiel chapter three, verse one through four, it says this, and he said to me, speaking about God, son of man, eat what is before you. Eat this scroll, then go and speak to the people of Israel. So I opened my mouth and he gave me the scroll to eat. Then he said to me, Son of man, eat this scroll I am giving you and fill your stomach with it. So I ate it and it tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth. Then he said to me, Son of man, go now or now go to the people of Israel and speak. My words to them. I I want to derive this whole series from these verses in Ezekiel, when God comes to Ezekiel as a prophet and begins to speak to him. And, and, and I love this. I love the prophetic books. I love the Old Testament. It's cryptic. It's symbolic. Uh, it, it, it is just, I, I love the uh, the depths of the Word of God. I love div- diving in and seeing all the different parallels and the types and the shadows and prophetic significances of, of everything that is in the Old Testament. But when God speaks to Ezekiel, and he tells him to eat the scroll. He's telling him to eat the word that he had put before him. Now, if you know this passage in chapter 2, God told Ezekiel, you're going to be my prophet. Now, if you go all the way back to verse to chapter 1, is a scripture that we quote a lot. And it says that before I formed you in your mother's womb... I knew you, right? Jeremiah chapter 1 is a call to one of the other prophets. He says, before he was formed in his mother's womb, he knew him. Then in Ezekiel chapter 2, when God's talking to Ezekiel, he says, I'm going to send you as a prophetic voice. Now, the problem is that Ezekiel hadn't received anything yet. God was telling him he was going to go, but he hadn't received anything. So then now in chapter 3, God comes to Ezekiel and he says, all right, now I'm going to give you something to eat. I want you to take the scroll and I want you to eat it. Now, this is symbolic. This is figurative, okay? He wasn't like actually chewing on parchment. It's like, I gotta do it for the Lord. And it, it, it's, it was just, it's symbolic. So, he, what God was trying to say is, I need you to fill yourself with the word. And if you fill yourself with the word, what we got to in in verse 4, he says, now go and speak. So when he's telling him to go speak, he's not saying go do something that I'm not prepared you to do. Or don't speak something that did not originate from me. I'm putting something in you, and so when I tell you to speak, you have something to pull from. Now, this is how God works, is God will never ask you to do something without equipping you to do it. He's given us tools. He's given us resources. He's given us abilities for us to fill ourselves so that we can be ready for whatever the assignment God has for us. We say all the time, "No, God, be strong, do great exploits. In order to do great exploits, in order to fulfill our assignment, we've got to have something. I can't fulfill God, my God-given assignment in my own strength. I can't fulfill my God-given assignment in my own ability. I need something. So to Ezekiel, God says, I'm giving you this scroll. I'm giving you the word, and it is your responsibility to fill yourself with it. Now, I I, want to just open this up by saying I want to talk about how to fill yourself with what you need. How to fill yourself with what you need for the journey that God has for you, for the assignment God has for you. See, a lot of times we eat what we think we need, but God gives us what we really need for where he's taking us. There's a huge difference. We eat according to the perspective of the assignment that's on our lives. But if we could see through God's eyes, we would see that our assignment is way bigger than what we think it is. And that is why God gave us the word. The B-I-B-L-E. That's the book for me. He gave us the Word of God. We love prophetic words. We love the voice of God. And we love all of that here. But do you know what sometimes we neglect? Is the very words that he wrote down and he gave to us as his Word. And he says to us what he said to Ezekiel. Eat it. Eat the scroll. Fill yourself with it. And we say, well, why? Why do we need to fill ourselves with it? Because whatever God's taking you into, He's going to resource you for. And if I'm full of the word, then whatever I step into, I can pull from the reservoir of the word in me and I will be equipped for every assignment that God has for me. How many of you know that's, that's really good news, that I'm never going to walk into a situation that I am not equipped for? Now, the caveat, the, caveat the, the, the condition is this. If Ezekiel hadn't have eaten it, he would not have been ready. So I talk to people all the time, says that they're not ready for what God's asking them to step into, or they're not prepared, or they're not trained. Did you know that God's given you everything through His Word for us to be prepared? It is just on us. It is our responsibility to consume that Word, to eat that Word, to devour that Word, and to what He said to Ezekiel, to fill ourselves with that Word. And then when He says, go and speak, go and do, go and take that job, go and marry go and do this go and do that we are ready now I want you to turn to 2nd Timothy uh, chapter 3 and, and we're going to use this as we're going to use that as our uh, backdrop but now I want to jump into 2nd Timothy chapter 3 verse 16 and we're going to read through verse 17 and we'll spend the rest of our time here it says in verse 16 all we just got to stop there what does it say Okay, y'all got to help me today. Okay, I am I'm I'm, I just. I need to look at the Word. I need you just to help me interpret it. I've looked at it in the Greek. I've looked at it in the Hebrew. I've tried to, I've tried to go back and forth. I've tried to look at the original languages and where we could have lost some in translation. All is all. It, it, and if all is all, then this has some conditions for how we live our lives. Because what we're about to say is going to really uh, influence how we decide what is morally right and what is morally wrong. It says all Scripture. Now, what is the Scripture? It's the Word of God. Y'all okay? It, it is the Bible. It's like, trick question. No, it's, it's, it's right. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful. You ever, you ever felt like you, you read some of the Scriptures and you're like, that is not useful? I mean, just be real. I mean, uh, I've, I've read through some, and, and there's a specific passage that I can't mention here from the pulpit, but some of us guys joke around about sometimes. There's a specific passage in the Old Testament that has just baffled me for years. It's very gruesome, and, and, and it's just like, whoa, why is that there? What it says, all Scripture is God-breathed, and it is useful It's not just that this is God breathed, but it is also useful for. It is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Well, that's great. Next scripture says in verse 17, it says, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Do you know how you can be thoroughly equipped for every good work? Read the word. Fill yourself with it, eat it, consume it, eat the scroll that is the word of God, let it get in you, let it become a part of you, and you will be thoroughly, not just barely getting by, we are going to be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Let me just ask you this question with that as a backdrop, how do you present truth in a world that believes all truth is equal? How do do you present truth in a world that believes truth is relative? Which means if it's truth to you, that's great, but that doesn't mean it's truth for me. And if it's not truth for me, that's okay. If it's truth for you, you go ahead. Relativism is this. It's the idea that views are relative to differences in perception and consideration. There is no universal truth, according to relativism. Rather, each point of view has its own truth, i.e., America. This is where we are. My truth is based on my perspective. And if my perspective is that whatever you say is truth is not truth, then that is truth. This is a difficult rule to live by. It's great in concept and it's great at college. When, when you figure it all out and you just know everything, it, it, it's it's great when your professor teaches it, but it doesn't really go well with life. I mean, this is just wild to me to think that because you think gravity is truth, I can think it's not. But that's what this says that's my, my perception is that it's not. The gravity is not, no matter my experience, no matter what, I can have my own truth. And therein has begun the crumbling of the backbone of Christian America. Because if we cannot rely on all Scripture is God-breathed, then what can we rely on? If we cannot set our flag and we cannot plant our feet on something that is immovable, on something that is unshakable, how do we live our life? How do you preach? How do you teach? Because it's only if I can connect with your perspective and our perspectives align do we agree that it's truth and there is no truth, so what if I change? Then truth changes? So can truth change? I'm not trying to teach too much. I just want to ask you this question. Like, Can truth change? Can it change? We have to have a true north, a guide. There has to be some absolute truth that we can rely on. You know, people used to believe, and, and we still have some, some uh, interns that are, we're working on, that believed the earth was flat. Right? People believed this, and literally, explorers would go off on, on, their, on their explorations, and their families would kiss them goodbye. They would get on these ships, and they would grieve and weep, thinking that if they reached the end of the world, that they would cascade off it. This is truth into whatever it was this is what people believed as truth and they would write about it they would talk about it they would lecture about it it was truth to them until there was more scientific evidence that showed us something different and then truth changed or let me propose to you something else did truth ever change or did our perspective become enlightened to new evidence that then revealed to us a new world? Do you know what is wild about the word of God? Is that if we would have went to the word of God, we already would have known that the, word was, that the world was not flat. The that, that thousands of years ago in Isaiah chapter 40 verse 22, it says he sits enthroned above the the circle, another definition of that same scripture is the sphere. The sphere of the earth. And little did we know that thousands of years later, we would discover and we would say, guys, we got a huge scientific breakthrough. The world, the earth is a sphere, it is a circle, it is a globe, the circle of the earth. And guess what happened in that moment? Truth changed. It changed or what we knew to be true, changed. So let me ask you this question. Is it true because you believe it? Or do you believe it because it's true? This is the question that we have to ask about the Word of God. Do we believe it? Do we really believe it? Do we take it as truth? And is it true? Is something true because I believe it? Or is it true regardless and my perspective needs to be enlightened or my perspective needs to be adjusted so that I can comprehend or have a true revelation of what truth is? Is it true because I believe it or do I believe it because it is true? The Word of God that's been contested, it's been analyzed, it's been looked at for years, but but did you know that there's all kinds of proof, and I love this, and I could really geek out on this, but I'm going to move, I'm going to barely touch it, but there's all kinds of proof that the Word of God is accurate. There, there, there's like seven different categories of proof that we could look at. Categories, not elements, or not not just singular items, but categories. But one of the one of the areas is historically. Historically, we can look back, and if you look back at a lot of other religions' writings, you cannot really geographically or historically have accuracy. But the Bible is accurate historically. Now now when they record history, there are two things that they look at when they record history that gives it greater validity or greater weight. They look at were they eyewitness accounts and then how was the account preserved? And I wish I could go into how the scrolls and the parchments, and the papyrus, how it was preserved, and the great care that scribes would go. when They would get one small detail wrong, and they would throw out the entire writings, and begin to write again. They would know if you asked them what was the middle letter of of, of an entire book, they could tell you the middle letter, because they would count frontwards and backwards from that letter to make sure that they had not missed one single letter. And if one letter was missed, they would throw out the entire parchment, So there was great detail, which is one of the great evidences of history, of how history was preserved. And then thousand years later, when the Dead Sea Scrolls were found, it confirmed what was already written. And these things coincided with one another. There is historical proof. There is also scientific proof. This is one I love the circle of the Earth is one of those. It's amazing. Did you know that George Washington, George Washington actually died of a process of a medicinal process called bloodletting, which is where we really believed as truth in that day, that the disease was in the blood. And so if we could get rid of the bad blood, that you would get better, not a transfusion. A drain. And so George Washington, not once, he didn't get better, not twice, but three times was blood leaded and died actually not because of the disease, but because of lack of blood. And it was only in the scientific breakthrough, medicinal breakthrough later, years later, where they found out that the blood is actually really important and we shouldn't let it leak out. We should actually put it in. But did you know that in Leviticus, it says that life is in the blood? And if we would have read that, then we wouldn't have let life slip out. We would have preserved life. I'll tell you, scientifically, the Bible proves itself over and over again. Did you know that the Bible is still being proven accurate? That, that, that even now, I mean, you should just begin to look at some of this stuff and study it. It is absolutely astounding to see the evidence about the Word of God. I, I want to look at this scripture, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. It says, all scripture is God-breathed. And I want to start by just looking at the origin. Let's just look at the origin. And, and I'll give you just a couple things. And, and, and in a venue like this, we don't, we can't, don't, have, don't have three hours. So i got to talk fast, and, and we got to kind of like broad scope it. And if anything, I'm trying to provoke your own curiosity to just go and begin to research and fill yourself with this scroll that will equip you for every good work that you're about to step into. It's origin. The Bible was written over a span of 1,600 years. The Bible contains 66 books written by 40 different people authors it was written on three different continents in three different language and somehow has one continual theme the bible is the most read the best selling and the most translated book in history it's not like christian top sellers this is in history it is the most translated book in the history of the world. The Bible, although popular, is also the most persecuted book in history. There has never been more bloodshed, never been more war or attempts to wipe it out than the word of God. Voltaire says this. He, he, he quoted, was, was quoted as saying, another century and there will not be another Bible on earth. Voltaire expected that within 50 years of his lifetime there would not be one Bible in the world. His house is now used as a distribution center for Bibles in many languages. That's just like God. Like, gotcha. I mean, it's like the the Bible is amazing. It is astounding. And yet I think that sometimes we don't fill ourselves with it because we don't understand it completely, or we don't fill ourselves with it because we're not disciplined, or or we just don't see the value of it. But if I could propose to you that all scripture is not just good writings or good teachings or good insights or good wisdom, it is God breathe. You know, this is this is this is Pentecost Sunday where the Holy Spirit came. And, 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 and He came uh, in the upper room on Pentecost Sunday, representing the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that it was like a sound, like a mighty rushing wind. When it talks about the Holy Spirit, it talks about wind, or talks about breath. It says all Scripture is God-breathed. Now let me show you this. In 2 Peter, Peter chapter 1, verse 20, this is how the Scriptures came to be. It says, above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophets or the writers' own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will. But prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is how the Bible was written, is that God inspired writers. To be carried along by the Holy Spirit, the, the to have. To have a voice means that breath has to go over your vocal cords. It is the breath of God that breathed into these men, that wrote these words that we now live by. And it was at the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came. And now, not just someone out there or something out there or a Holy Spirit that came on. The Bible says the Holy Spirit came in. And He is an inner witness in you and an inner witness in me. He now resonates or witnesses to what has already been spoken through prophets. Do you know how you interpret the Bible? Do you know how that you receive from the Word? It is by His Spirit, spirit to spirit, not brain to spirit. Spirit to spirit. It is His Spirit that illuminates, it is His Spirit that teaches, it is His Spirit that educates us in understanding what was written by men filled with His Spirit. Its origin, the second thing is its purpose. I want you to look at the second part of this scripture. It says, and it is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. The Bible has the ability to completely furnish. That's what, that's what the Greek word uh, really means in, in this. When it says, uh, is useful for, it's, it, the Greek word gives this picture of completely furnishing. It, it is like you have a tool belt that is not empty, but it's full for anything that you would need. I was cleaning out the garage the other day and and I was out there and uh, my two boys decided to come help me for a little while. I was trying to do it before they came to help so it'd actually get done, but they came to help. And they were proceeding to walk through the garage and grab items and be like, dad, what's this for? That was the game. So it's like, I'm putting that back. And then over here, it's like, dad, what's this for? Genesis is just he, he's a wild one, and uh, he, he, he keeps us on our toes. And so he is, he, he, Jude, he has like some sense of decency. He'll be like, Dad, what's this? And then he'll put it back. This is Genesis. Dad, what's this? I mean, he, he is, he's destructive. I mean, just that's like, oh, wow, now I know. I can destroy it now. That's how he lives his life. And as he's walking through every element of his gr- the garage that he can get his hands on, I'm realizing that everything has a purpose. That has a purpose, and that has, the shovel has a purpose, and that little thing, that, that little bolt that I saved right there that he just threw, and I got to go find in the grass, that had a purpose, everything. What this scripture means is that God equipped your spiritual garage with everything that you would ever need. It mentions some of the things it's useful for, but that is not in totality. That is not entirety. This is just some of the things that the Scripture gives us and is useful for. A.W. Tozer says this, The Word of God well understood and religiously obeyed is the shortest route to spiritual perfection. And we must not select a few favorite passages to the exclusion of others. Nothing less than a whole Bible can make a whole Christian. But if you do not believe that it's true, you can never take it as whole. You you have to eat this completely. He didn't say eat the parts of the scroll that you enjoy, Ezekiel. Eat the parts that you want. Eat, Eat all those blessing scriptures. Eat all those prosperity scriptures, because everything flows together in totality. God wants to bless us. God wants to prosper you, but he also wants you to be generous. He also wants to bless you to be a blessing. It is the totality of scripture that has the power that is useful for these things. that it talks about Psalm 119, 105. Let's just look at what the scripture is useful for. It says, your word is a lamp for my feet and a light for on my path, Psalm one nineteen, verse nine through eleven. How can a young person stay off the on the path of purity? You ever wonder this? I'm just trying to stay pure. I don't know how. The Bible just tells you. This is how: by living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have. Here's the key. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against. You are you struggling with sin patterns? Start memorizing the word. Well, I can't memorize all chapters. Take a line, take a line. I don't even know if this is scripture. Jude tells me it is, but he comes home from school and he says, I have power. And I'm like, You do? He's like, That's my verse, Dad. I'm like, I'm gonna relook at the curriculum and make sure what translation we're using. <laughs> He is really loving the I have power scripture, especially when it comes to confrontation. And we're like, okay, Jude, you better, Dad, I have power. It's like, okay. Dad has power too, and you're about to see it. Psalm 119, verse 130 says, The unfolding of your word gives light, it gives understanding to the simple. I love love the Word of God. I open my mouth and pant, longing for your commands. Turn to me and have mercy on me as you always do. That's amazing. As you always do to those who love your name. Direct my footsteps according to your word. Let no sin rule over me. Just hear me say this. For every situation, there's a scripture. For every vice, there's a verse. And for every problem... There's a promise. Everything that you're going to face has an answer hidden in the word of God. But if we have not found a daily practice of eating the tools that he's given us, then guess what? We are going to find ourselves lacking. And what many of us do is we turn our blame towards God. Saying, why didn't you give me something for this? And I imagine probably not actually I can't imagine because I would be like read your Bible I gave it to you like what more do you want and God's probably in love like sending people and messengers and the Holy Spirit I'd be like like see ya like I gave you this to help you to instruct you let's just look at this the last one it's result and we see this in verse 17. It says, so that the servant, this is the result, the origin. We find this is the Holy Spirit. The day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit the, the Holy Spirit breathed on these men to write these words. And then it is useful for, we have its purpose. And then the result is this. So that you, let's just make it personal. So that you can be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So that you as a man of God, you as a woman of God can be thoroughly equipped for whatever you are going to face. The result of the lesson in Ezekiel 3 is that if I fill myself with the word of God that he gave me, I will be thoroughly equipped for everything that I face. Let me just tell you this. The word only works if you work it. The word only works if you work it. There is a promise, but the promise only works if I apply it. James says this, do not just merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. I've taught the interns this. We talk about this a lot. That maturity is not just having information. Maturity is applying the information that you have. I can say it this way, But Christian's maturity is not based on knowing all the scriptures and posting all the great things. Do you know that most arguments happen as a result of concepts and not scriptures? They, an idea comes from a scripture, but the argument quickly moves to my perspective, and now we're battling perspectives instead of battling with the word. I, 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 pe- people like to take what other people say as their arguing points instead of arguing with the word. I, I was talking with some, some men in our church uh, that, that they just wanted to debate over some theological issues. And everything that they were saying was, well, you know, so-and-so teaches this. And so-and-so teaches this. And I said, here's the deal. If you want to sit down with me and talk about this, you come to me with a list of scriptures. I don't care what he teaches and what he teaches and what he teaches. If you want to talk Bible, we'll talk Bible. If you want to talk pastors, I'm out. I don't want to sow any of that because I need all the help I can get. Pastor says, I give much grace because I need much grace. I don't want people sitting around talking about me. Let's talk about the word. Let's talk about what it says. In verse 4 of Ezekiel 3, we started with this. Let me give you this. He then said to me, Son of man, go now to the people of Israel and speak my words to them. Let me just give you this. I really believe that there's an assignment that's on your life that is specific to your life that no one else can do, a no place that no one else can fill. But the only way that you're going to be thoroughly equipped as a man or woman of God is if you learn how to eat the scroll of God's Word, if you learn how to digest it, if you learn how to consume it, if you learn how to feed yourself with it. Some of the darkest times of my life, I have found solace. I have found comfort. I have found wisdom in the pages of this book. It is alive. It is active. We'll talk about this in the coming weeks. It is the inspired Word of God. This is not a great suggestion book. This is literally the words and the voice and the heart of God written out on paper so that we can understand it, so that we can hear it, so that we can be moved by it. Charles Spurgeon says this. Some people like to read so many Bible chapters a day. I would not dissuade them from the practice but I would rather lay my soul a soak in half dozen verses all day than rinse my hand in several chapters. Oh, to be bathed in a text of Scripture and to let it be sucked up in your very soul till it saturates your heart. Do you know what he's describing? Eating the scroll. He, he, it, some of us, we, Bible reading plans are great. I use them. And you, sh- you should use them it helps you but you know what don't be so such in a hurry to check a box that you've read something that God's trying to speak to you through and you can say I've read it but God's trying to give you wisdom it's just years ago I was I was in a situation and I used to share this in, in, in some of our connect classes but I was in a situation where uh, I was I was dealing with um, a certain uh, individual on a business item, and uh, it, it was outside independent of the church. And so, and, uh, we were dealing with some things, and um, he uh, was taking some legal action against me. And so, we we're working through this uh, based on a contract that we had. And as we're walking through this, I'm I'm a fighter just by nature. I'm just a little competitive, and so I'm like, oh, how dare you! I mean, like, I'm so I'm calling my attorney. I'm I'm like, I'm ready. To, I'm ready to go. I had all kinds of info and records that I would say I would win, and I was reading in this wonderful Bible, and I came across this across this passage that Paul wrote. And it says this, why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? He says, the fact that you have lawsuits among you mean that you're already defeated. I'm like, I think I'll eat something else today. Like, when you look into the Word of God, it'll begin to look into you. And I called up Pastor Stephen and said, hey, I need you to sit with me in a meeting because I'm going to sit down with this guy and I'm going to tell him that I'll pay whatever he's asking me to pay. and I'm I'm settling it. It's done. He said, okay, I will. And I went in there to tell you that I wanted to be there would be an absolute lie. But when I did it and I walked out of there, the weight that came off me, was absolutely amazing, and I just I just wonder if we're ill-equipped because we've never really filled ourselves. We've we, we leaned on it like in a pinch, but we've never lived it, and so this is what I want to challenge you is, as, as we close this. I want to challenge you to dive into your Bible. Mean, this is like just old school Sunday school. Just, I want you to dive into your Bible this week. And, and we're just going to use the hashtag, eat the scroll. And whenever you come across a scripture that speaks to you, and I want to challenge you, at least read just one verse a day. If you come across a scripture that speaks to you, I just want you to post it on whatever social media that you use and just hashtag eat the scroll. And I want us just our church to just flood social media this week with revelation and word that just comes and speaks to us. God, God spoke to me in a situation. I'm like, whoa, how do you even get around that? I don't even have an option to get to do anything else than what I did would be disobedient. God made himself so clear. I just, I had to obey. And that doesn't apply to everyone. This is what he spoke to me specifically right in my situation. But I had to obey it right then. Because God is trying to give me everything I need to make me thoroughly equipped for the assignment that he has for me. Thanks for listening. You can find out more about us at church1132.com.